Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Welcome to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. On today's episode, we're speaking with Serene Fox, who made her directorial debut with Enendi, a short doc that explores the life of her auntie, Mary Bell. My auntie, Mary Bell, is a residential school survivor and is our oldest surviving matriarch. She carries a lot of truth and a lot of pain. And now that she's an elder, she's only focused on how the story will carry on for us. My job, as the youngest in our family, is to carry on her ways, her stories, and her dreams. Shot during the COVID-19 pandemic, Fox had to navigate not only strict quarantine protocols, but also some tough conversations with her aunt. I am a survivor of genocide. Because I know a lot that didn't make it. So many committed suicide. When he came out of that school, and a lot of us turned to alcohol to forget and died from it. Mary Bell is a residential school survivor and has talked extensively about her experiences at the Spanish Residential School for Girls, but that doesn't make these conversations any easier to have. In our conversation, Serene and I discuss making the film during a pandemic, how she handled conversations with her aunt about the trauma she experienced at residential school, and how she's preparing to carry on her aunt's legacy. Also be warned that in this episode, we discuss residential schools and subjects that may be triggering. Stay with us. Well, Serene Fox, welcome to the podcast and congrats on your directorial debut. Jimmy Gwitch, thank you so much for having me on. Jimmy Gwitch. Well, I guess I have to ask what spurred you to get behind the camera. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think when you have the chance to be uh, to be on the other side of the lens and you get to be really held responsible for telling other people's stories, you understand the, the impact and the potency that um, being uh, on the ground and bearing witness to people's truth uh, and the impact that that can have. So I think for my auntie, who's like one of my favorite humans, it just, it really made sense for me um, to be able to follow her narrative. And I was really excited about it. And there's no other way I would have wanted to make my directorial debut. So yeah, I think it was just curiosity of what it means to to think uh, about telling a story from the other side as well. Yeah. Is it, is it a more nerve wracking experience being behind the lens as opposed to in front of it? Because I know you're a dancer and you do some modeling as well. Um, was it, uh, what was the transition like? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely interesting because as you can see in the doc, I don't I, I sort of fail sometimes um, at being just the director. <laughs> um, and I just like I gave up on it at a certain point because I would just like I would be interviewing her and then I would just like want to jump in as well. And um, I think it's actually my dance background that made it maybe a little bit easier because um, I just decided very early on in the process that there was no way that I was not going to break the fourth wall. So if you just give up on it and let go of that idea, then it just sort of, it allows you to, to think of it like a dance. So this 
film really felt more like a dance, just knowing when it's appropriate to jump in, to help out, um, and really just making sure I followed Auntie Mary and what she needed. So uh, I found it really hard to stay just behind the camera, though. I wanted to, to help out. <laughs> Well, well, you, you chose a particularly challenging time to make a documentary because of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And I guess I have to know what kind of challenges that presented for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest challenge was just the risk. My desire and the urgency to tell this story couldn't outweigh the importance of keeping not only my community, the, the place where I'm from, my family is from, but also my auntie. Um, and so just deciding to go up there, uh, just deciding to to take that risk was really huge. But um, we had to get tested before we left. Um, we had to quarantine first, then get tested. And then we drove straight there, no stops, uh, and then got tested again once we were up there. But challenges you wouldn't think of, just like getting um, uh, a place to stay, to put my crew, um, thinking about the fact that it, I couldn't stay at Auntie Mary's house, you know, that we had to camp outside. And um, it was just challenging, but I think the risk made it feel, um, I don't know, scary, to be honest, scary. Yeah. Mm. Well, sometimes great art comes out of being scared, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, I think vulnerability is when um, we all shine, right? And even if it's that mm -hmm. that window into something real. Well, we mentioned, you mentioned her a few times, Auntie Mary Bell. Uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about her? Oh, my Auntie Mary. So I think I should say her her traditional name. So she's a Nimkikwe, um, and uh, that talks about that, that Thunder Spirit woman. Um, and she belongs to the Sturgeon clan. So um, my auntie is just a, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, growing up, I remember her showing up in the middle of the night like one, two in the morning, and she'd be coming in from her travels. And uh, my sisters and my mom and her would, would wake up and make tea, and they would talk all night. And my bedroom was above the kitchen. So through the vents, I could just barely hear them talking. And one of my favorite memories is just that, hearing the, the sound of the laughter and the conversations going all night. And I'm the youngest, so I was always a, a youngster, a baby, when these sort of adult conversations were happening. So I think another layer here is that I got to know my auntie uh, even better and finally in my own way as a woman uh, in the last couple of years. And this doc really felt like I had my own relationship with her as a woman and, and now as an expecting mother. So, But auntie is a residential school survivor and a storyteller and the grace in which she has taken incredible um, hardship and harm in her life is uh, beyond measure to me. And she's a real inspiration. She's the matriarch of my family. I think she's also described as a knowledge keeper, correct? Yeah, that's right. Amongst other things. What, <laughs> well, what, what does that term mean? Yeah, so she's, she's the history keeper. Um, for our family uh, and for the community. So she's also known as a knowledge keeper within the community. So it's her responsibility to remember and to uphold um, our connection to who we are, um, which means she carries her teachings. Um, and really, truly, she, she worked in the trenches of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So she has been a listener. Um, listened and uh, just held space for survivors so that they could tell their own stories. 
when you say she worked in the trenches, you uh, said she was a listener. Um, so she was listening to, I guess, other survivors discuss, describe their experiences and, and I guess providing emotional support to them. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah. Um, I think that's a part of it, I think. And then in the very beginning, um, sort of before, right after the apology was made um, on behalf of Canada to Indigenous people for the harm that was caused through residential school, um, that's sort of when everything started to move. And so Auntie Mary very early on was helping to define what it would mean for survivors to come forward and for all the legal process. So a lot of it too, um, when I say that, the trenches, I mean, it was the work of even um, having our truth be held up as real. Uh, so I think for a lot of Canadians, because the truth was so atrocious and so devastating that um, it was hard to believe a lot of it. And so Auntie helped to lift up the evidence um, and uh, and she worked alongside Murray, uh, sometimes in Spanish, where she went um, to just help survivors prove that their stories were true. Um, and uh, Murray mean. Marie Sinclair, yeah, Sorry. Justice Marie Sinclair. Yeah, Marie Sinclair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, right? I, first I, name I, basis, uncle, vi- uncle vibes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think single-handedly, like that work that was sparked by the TRC and the That's the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the recommendations, those were life-changing for Auntie because they um, allowed an opportunity to do some really powerful work Um and that allowed her to transform something that was just trauma, um, that was just pain, uh, into work that had a tangible result and impact for others just like her. Hmm. Well, you know, in the film, you say that it's it's your job to carry on her ways, mm-hmm. and I have to know what that means. What does it mean to carry? What does it What does it entail for you? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's a real sense of freedom. Um, And Auntie Mary has always honored her personal freedom to come and go and to follow that spontaneity, um, but to always really uplift uh, our traditional ways as as Anishinaabe. So to carry on her ways means to not be afraid um, to do whatever it takes to to be shamelessly and unapologetically Anishinaabe. Uh, and it took her whole life to claim that space. So to carry on her ways means to continue to do that work and to continue to make safe space for um, generations to come so that they never feel like who they are uh, should be abolished, who they are should be assimilated, um, that they never have to fight genocide. How do you feel about taking on that uh, that responsibility? And, and, you know, I guess it's a, a kind of a lifelong process for you um how do you i guess manage it i guess yeah that's a really great question sometimes i think i don't uh it's it's an (laughs) incredible pressure um and i often talk about this with young people because i don't think that inherently as an indigenous person you have to choose this but i think inherently as an indigenous person this is on your plate this is a part of the fabric of your foundation um but i really never felt like i had a choice Otherwise, because my mom fought so hard for me just to exist and to be proud. And I've had the incredible privilege of never questioning who am I? Um, Because my mom let me know that 
being an Anishinaabe was enough of an identity to exist um, and to be proud of. Um, and my Auntie Mary had that taken away from her. So the fact that my Auntie Mary lost it and my mom fought for it and then I get to receive it um, and my unborn child might have the opportunity to live in a world where they don't have to fight um, and they don't have to experience trauma. Um, but I still think that there's one more generation yet um, before we can actually say that we've broken um, all of the chains that have been cast upon us from the policies of the Canadian government. So, um, yeah, I think it's an incredible responsibility and it, it's kind of like my work. Uh, when I started... When I started telling stories and, and working to amplify the voices of others, um, it was interesting because I spent my whole life thinking that I was going to be well-known or famous and it was going to be about my work and my voice and you have these dreams of what it will look like. But I think for me, the most profound shift in that is that it's not about my voice. It's about having an opportunity to have a platform where I can uplift that work um, and that's what I'm obsessed with now, is just continuing to uplift and shift the narrative um, so that we can exist in a way that is ours, um, that comes from our voices. Um, that's that's what I'm most interested in. Yeah. Well, at one point in the film, I think Mary says that she's afraid to speak about her experiences in residential schools because of the government. And I guess she thinks that they won't... Uh, you know, let her let what she's about to say uh, be publicized. I, I I was taken aback by that. I did that surprise you as well? Absolutely. Um, and I actually I was really shy about putting that in the doc. My editor really fought me on that one because I I had it oh. on the cutting floor a couple times um, because it has this feeling about it. And and uh, the truth is is that I still have this inherent fear of the government, like. Um, I don't feel safe in the systems, um, even though intellectually and uh, I, I understand it and I know um, all the ways that systems are supposed to operate. Uh, in that moment, it was hard for me to even just say, like, you're completely safe. Because in that moment, I was like, what, what if she's not? Like, she's not, it's not an untruth, you know, in her world, because the government did perpetuate all of this trauma on her. It comes directly and it's airing on them. the cbc yeah and it's airing on the cbc <laughs> yeah i mean i know there's a obviously and i work for tvo so i mean but there, there's obviously a separation uh you know as a, a public broadcaster we're not uh told what to do by the government but um some people i guess don't always understand that but yeah absolutely and i think um i think that she still doesn't really believe me like even when we watched it she was like oh hmm. man um yeah, that was also such an incredible experience to to sit and watch mm. her watch it. I was terrified. Um, what did she think? Uh, she had uh, questions about the music, <laughs> first and <laughs> foremost, <laughs> which really surprised me. And there were a few um, comments about wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> Hers or yours? <laughs> which, you know, is... Oh, hers. Yeah. Yeah. And the way the oh, okay. blanket looked behind the chair, she thought maybe it was a little too bright, um, which, to be honest, I so love because uh, when we're telling such heavy stories, especially as artists, we can get really wrapped up in like uh, how um, dramatic and um, heavy they are. And 
you have to remember that she's an elder and and all these things, but she's also a woman who has you know an idea of her experience and all of these things, and so uh, she just made me laugh. Um, but she didn't. Yeah. She didn't cry. <laughs> Which was no, the biggest and, surprise. and there's yeah. humor. There's a lot of humor. I mean, I, I love the the chair that you get her, the the, the recliner, the yep, they yep. call it the lazy boy, lazy boy, yeah, <laughs> uh, with the, the mis- with a massage on it. Yeah, I actually want one of those. I know. Um, me too. And she, I think she disappears disappears on you at one point and just goes when you're supposed to do an interview. I mean, uh, I, I love that. I think that that sense of humor is great. Yeah, me too. And that's what I mean about um, like. I really mean it. And I thought she might get upset for that part, but she did laugh when I was like, my auntie doesn't let anyone tell her what to do. Like she just does what she wants. (laughs) Um, But she left with, I had her phone and, and everything else, like all of her ID and her purse and, and she was gone. And I was like, auntie, where are you? But yeah, we gotta, we gotta do an interview here. Let's let's go. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, and this, I'm kind of switching gears a little bit because, I mean, obviously, we, the, the next thing I'm going to ask is a little tricky to, uh, to talk about, and I want to tread carefully, but it's, you know, she, she does talk to you about her experiences at uh, the Spanish residential school for girls, which are very horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, just to what extent you're comfortable discussing, I mean, is there, are there things that you feel comfortable, I guess, sharing with us, like what she told you and, and I guess what impact it had on you? Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, it's it's interesting. I've done a lot of work um, in, in all of my art forms. Like even when I first started choreographing for dance, I really wanted to explore the residential school experience. So I sort of grew up hearing all these stories all the time. But to hear it from my auntie um, has a particular kind of sting. But I think it it's not only what happened to her. It's what she had to know and witness happening to her siblings as well that I think really are the layers that got to me and all of that sort of like listening to these stories and then putting my mom and my own family, like where I am in my family into those stories. Um, I think that's where there was some real, um, almost like mystery solving that was happening and how I look at my whole life and the way that the building blocks have um, made who I am today. But um, I think the other stories mm. that she talks about is just the the, the betrayal right? And, and the hunger, right. you know, to have your food taken away, even just to think of like going on a, a week fast with absolutely no food. That is a tremendous task to ask of anyone, but to have it forced on you as punishment. And the way she talks about it is that it happened over and over again, where she was deprived of food. Um, and it's just, it's beyond anything that I can imagine doing to a child. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Again, these are children. These were not like children. inmates at a prison. This was these were, yeah, babies. It's, it's, it's just unbelievable. And these I and, and the hair that they they cut off. Yes. Just uh, yeah. I just it, it's it's unspeakable to me. And I I, I thank you for yeah uh, discussing it. It's sorry. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. To, it's a lot to process. Actually, well, actually, one thing I wanted to just mention is. Um, you know, our producer for this show, Matthew, is his, he's, ha- he's actually Japanese Canadian. And he and I have talked to just about how difficult it can be for Japanese Canadians from the Second World War era who were in internment mm-hmm. to describe what they went through. You know, it's it's they'd rather just forget about it, move on. But, you know, these stories are important, right? We need to know the history. I guess I wonder why. I mean, 
why for her? Why is it? Why? Why does she? I guess do this, even though this can't be <laughs> an easy thing for her to do. Yeah, you know, uh, I have to. I have to lift up my mom. Uh, my mom is Banaconda Kennedy Kishbell, and she's an incredible healer and and teacher. And um, my mom does distance. Dis, used to do distance education, um, and so. Uh, she worked for a university where they would go and they would, everyone would stay in a hotel and um, they'd spend two weeks there and they'd do their course and that would happen over a course of a few years. And so for a long time, she was placed in Sault Ste. Marie. And so my auntie actually took her course twice because um, she was allowed to just sort of audit it. Um, and in that course, you tell your story because it's a, a native sociology psychology and I think my auntie kind of became obsessed with that, of the power it had in her life to speak the unspeakable truth. Um, and uh, my mom did a lot of that work with her. And then my auntie started doing that work with others. Um, and I even know that work. If you can get someone to speak their truth, it's like a weight is lifted off. Um, so I think she just keeps doing it because she gets a little lighter every time. Um, you put that back into the universe. Mm. I noticed that she holds a feather when she's talking. Mm. What does that symbolize? Kindness and kindness and the truest form of honesty. So that comes from the eagle. And for, for my people, Anishinaabe people, the eagle can travel the highest. So it can fly above the atmosphere to that place where the creator sits. So when you hold that feather, you're reminded of that direct connection with creation. And so if you are connected in that way, then you should be speaking from the most kind and most honest place you have in your heart. Hmm. Well, you know, I don't know what it's like to be behind the camera or in front of it. And I know that, you know, there are parts of the film where you uh, put the camera on yourself and are describing, I guess, what you're experiencing as you're going through with this. And I have to imagine you also had to sit and watch that in the editing uh, process as well. Uh, and I just want to know how you did that. Oh, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> this is where I give you give away some of my like magic, but no, um, I never intended <laughs> any of those to make it into the film. Uh, um, Lucas, who is my DP, incredible artist. Um, we just really wanted to make sure, uh, that we had my reactions when they were really true and raw. And, um, I was also just the very beginning of my pregnancy then. So I was just like feeling all of the things. Um, and I'm so grateful that he made me sit down and do that. Cause I'd so raw, I'm like no makeup, no hair. And because I didn't think it would make the doc, like I thought it would just help with the editing process. I really let it all out. Um, and then of course, on the chopping floor when you're putting things together, all of that had to make it in because those are the, that's the truth. Um, and I mm. think real good documentary work should also put you in your Ross place. Um, and if you try to make it all up and if you're worried about the way you look um, and the things you say, then you're not doing it right. Because I think a documentary is about peering into someone's truth. And peering into someone's life in a way that allows us in so that we can be more vulnerable with each other and see each other um, for who we are so that we can be better humans together. Uh, and that's the kind of work I want to be a part of. Well, you have to have a good team behind you, right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You don't do anything without an amazing team. And I was so lucky. Like from my editor, um, 
who was just wonderful, wonderful, shout out to Navin, but uh, from every step of the way, um, I had a team that completely supported me and allowed me to be safe, which made it okay to be vulnerable. Um, and I got to have a really amazing young uh, filmmaker, Sage Patatagoose, and it was her very first film um, shooting and operating a camera after graduating from film school. So we were all raw and vulnerable together, and I think that makes it work. Well, we kind of have to wrap up our conversation, but, you know, I I guess, you know, this is kind of, you've kind of already, I guess, maybe touched on this, but I mean, is there anything that you think viewers or you hope viewers will take away from, from hearing your auntie's story? Yeah, I, I want uh, people to, you know, hear auntie's story and understand the complexities and, um, you know, how heavy it is and attach it to Canadian history. But outside of that, I want people to see how brilliant our elders are and to remember that as we get older, we get wiser and that our elders are a great source of wisdom. And so we should talk to them and reach out to them and remember them. And whether you're Indigenous or not, your elders have a story. And whether you have an iPhone or an old, like, I don't know, mini DV video camera, you can be capturing these stories and, and holding on to them for generations to come. And I hope that people get inspired to uh, be curious about where they come from. I think that's a great place to leave it. Thank you so much, Serene. This was great. Jimmy uh, Glitch, thank you so much. And that's the podcast. Nendi is up on CBC Gem right now. If you liked what you heard, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show. You can also tell a friend about us and spread the word on social media. You can write to us at ondocs at tvo.org. We read everything you send. You can also find me on Twitter at colinellis81. Ondocs is produced and edited by Matthew O'Mara. Our production support coordinators are Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell. Katie O'Connor is our series producer, and Lori Few is the executive producer of Digital. We'll catch you at the next screening.